All right. Thank you. That was wonderful. Great song selection. I appreciate that. They're going to be back here. Uh, and uh, man, so glad to have you here with us. Um, we're we're uh, this morning. Uh, I'm so thankful that we can still gather. Uh, even in the midst of this, we can still gather and uh, in your homes. I hope that today's message would would help to provide more opportunities for discussion with each other. Uh, I'm, I think I'm a little amazed. Last week I received a lot of feedback from last week's message, and uh, I even had to go back and listen to it myself and, and let last week's message preach to myself. And so uh, it was good for my soul. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to continue on with this idea of suffering. And uh, we talked last week about the purpose of suffering. And we really focus on this subject matter of glorifying God. Now, uh, today we're going to keep going on that track, but we're going to discover some more things that we didn't have time to talk about. Although that message last week did go an hour, I think six minutes. I think I felt a lot of liberty because I just thought, well, you'll just probably pause it uh, if you get tired and then just come back. So we'll see how today goes. Um, Hey, I want to tell you, we're going to try something uh, different. While I'm preaching uh, right now, you can... If there's any questions you have during this message, or uh, maybe you have an insight about suffering that would edify the body. Sometimes when we gather, we will have times to edify each other, uh, but kind of hard right now. So here's what I'm going to do. On the screen, you should see uh, my cell phone number. And while I'm preaching, if you have a question about suffering, or uh, maybe you have an insight that the Lord has showed you, uh, text me. And what we'll do is, at the end of this message, we'll sign off. And then we'll come back here in a couple moments after I get to read those comments and, and questions. And then we'll have what's called an after party. We'll have an after party and discuss and, and just kind of have an informal time together. So we're going to try just to kind of let um, let us as a church body just talk with each other a little bit more in this kind of digital world. And so uh, you can text me this whole time and I will answer it after this video. We'll do a little after party Facebook video followed up with this one after several minutes. And so uh, you should see the number right there, 901-304-9979, 901-304-9979. So I would love to dialogue with you. I'd love to hear what God has showed you in his word through suffering or what God has showed you just in your own study or, or, or even your own story. And so um, lo- we'll do that. Okay, so here's what we're, we're looking at today. We're continuing on this idea of the purpose of suffering and and, and last week, now, two weeks ago, we talked about trusting God, which is a, a big part of it. Trusting that he is good, that he is wise, he is loving, that he's in control. And then last week, we looked about the purpose of suffering to glorify God. And, and, and I have to tell you, the, the time to, to get ready for suffering is ahead of time, okay? We have to develop a deep knowledge of the vital and a vital prayer life so that when suffering does come, it, it doesn't surprise us or overcome us. Because listen, if you live long enough, you will suffer in some way, shape, form, or fashion. We live long enough. Our health will be impacted. Our, our finances will be impacted. Or something will happen in our life, whether it's a pandemic like this or, or like suffering will happen if you live long enough. It's dangerous to live. The time to actually prepare yourself for suffering is not in that moment, but it's way ahead of time. It's kind of like this. When you prepare for war... What they do when you're preparing for war is that when the bullets start flying in war, that's not the time that a soldier looks over his commander and starts to get instructions on what to do next. 
No, that actually comes way before during all the training, during boot camp. All that training and boot camp is meant to, when the bullets start flying, the soldier now goes off of muscle memory. And so the same thing with suffering. The time to prepare for suffering is not when you're in suffering as much as it's way ahead of time to prepare yourself. Because when the bullets of suffering start flying, in 21 years of pastoral ministry, I've discovered that some people were not, had not been to boot camp yet on suffering. And, there's some, and, and I'm telling you, as a pastor, sometimes it's hard because when you enter into someone's world when they're suffering and they've not prepared themselves for it, Not a lot of the theological truths actually make the impact. Why? Because the bullets are flying past their ears at such a high speed. They can't hear your voice. As a pastor, the people I have seen handle suffering best and glorify God in it are those who way ahead of time already prepared themselves. So I'm hoping that these messages will equip and prepare us for whatever lies ahead. And as I told you last week, I... Restudying this subject matter, I went back to a book uh, years ago by Tim Keller, um, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And, and there's a lot of data I'm using from his book in last week's message and even in this week's message. I would, in, man, I would encourage you to read that book. If you want a book to read during this time, I would, I, would, I would just heartily recommend that book. Last week we had said something interesting, a quote from Tim Keller's book. The same sun that melts wax hardens clay and so the same traumatic experience can ruin one person and make another person stronger and even happier and we looked at why is that well one of the reasons we discovered last week and just quickly and briefly it's it's do they see the glory of god in this that the person who is melted sees God's glory. Now, remember, when we talked about glory last week, we talked about God's glory in the Old Testament is that Hebrew word kabod, and it means this weightiness of God. And when we talk about weightiness, we talk about importance and matter. His quote from Keller we read last week, I think, really encapsulates glory in the Old Testament. He says, God is glorious. It means that he should matter and does matter more than anything else or anyone else. And if anything matters to you more than God... You are not acknowledging his glory. You are giving glory to something else. Suffering. The purpose of suffering is to bring us to the glory of God that he matters most and not our own individual comfort. He even matters most when we don't understand all the suffering in the moment. The New Testament word for glory, doxa, means brilliance, beauty, praise. Another quote from Keller in this book, he says, Once again, when you put God's character and attributes together in light of the Old Testament understanding of glory, he not only matters or is important, that's that kabod, but also to be the most rejoiced in. He's the most beautiful. So we see this idea of, of, of the purpose of suffering is so that we would glorify God. And when we glorify God, his He is what matters. He is what is weighty. He is what is brilliant and beautiful and attractive. And a person who sees God that way is a person who, when suffering comes, it melts and doesn't harden. And a person who gets hardened through suffering, and any kind of suffering, is a person who is rightly not glorifying God in their life or seeing God's glory as the center point of everything They are seeing themselves as the center of everything. Now, the hard thing we talked about last week when this is in in suffering is that even sometimes when we suffer, 
we try to only see suffering with some kind of silver lining in this life. And sometimes there is a silver lining to our suffering in this life. I mean, we see evidence in Scripture that there are some silver linings on planet Earth as a result of suffering, but not all. But if we, if we only glorify God because we think there's a silver lining coming in this Earth, then we're rightly not glorifying God all the way. Now, don't get me wrong. The silver lining ultimately is glory, is the resurrection. The ultimate... The ultimate reason we can say we can glorify God in the end, we do have an ultimate silver lining, which is someday this will be over. Someday all things will be restored. Someday we will be resurrected. And someday this physical body will not be given over to a coronavirus. This physical body will not have any kind of disease. This physical body will be with Jesus, live with Jesus, be glorified, will be as it should always be, united with our soul. So we find... That the purpose of suffering, once again, as we said last week, it was this idea of glorifying God. He is most important and most attractive. And when we don't understand all the reasons or can, and even try to put our hearts on the silver lining, we can know this. He is God and we are not. And he is magnificent enough to be trusted through the fiery furnace. Now, let's come to a couple other points about the purpose of suffering. So it's not only to glorify God, but then... If that is there, here's what happens. We'll glorify God, and then we'll glorify God to others. We'll glorify God to others. That's one of the purposes of suffering. I'll have several scriptures I'll read to you, but uh, you won't probably have time to flip to all of them. You can write them down, or maybe if you're quick enough and you were good at Bible drills, you might be able to do that. 2 Corinthians 4.10 gives us some principles. Paul says to the Corinthian church, "...always carrying in the body the death of Jesus." So that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. Paul just points out and says that Jesus, his death is being manifest in our bodies. God, glorifying God to others through our suffering. Philippians 1.12, Paul says to the Philippian church, I want you to know, Philippian church brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. What is he saying? My imprisonment is for Christ. That the purpose of suffering is to glorify God to others. I think a great example. And now, now listen, in, in those two scriptures, this is really glorifying God to those in the covenant body, I really, I really think. But, but then also, glorifying God to others is even those that are far from God. The greatest witness to someone who's far from God is seeing someone in Christ actually suffer and suffer well. I think the best example we have of that would be in Acts chapter 6 with the stoning of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. Let me read that passage for you. And I want you to notice, here's a guy who's glorifying God. And then as a result, he's glorifying God to others, even others who are far from God, even others who the way that Stephen suffers right here has an eternal impact on Paul's salvation in the end. I'll show this to you. Look in, 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 in uh, Acts chapter 6 and verse 54. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 7, verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. Now, in, in the context, um, he had just, Stephen had just preached a gospel message. Took the gospel through the Old Testament leading up to their times. And, and he had just declared the message of the gospel. And this is what happens now in verse 54 in Acts chapter 7. Now when they had heard these things, they were enraged. 
and they ground their teeth at him, at Stephen. Verse 55. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, this is what Stephen said. Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. It says in verse 57, But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And when they cast him out of the city, they stoned him, Stephen. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man, Saul. There's no, no accident why the scriptures say Saul right there, who's later going to become Paul. He's viewing this. Because... He's going to see that God can be glorified to others through Stephen's martyrdom. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So here's Stephen showing God's glory to others in the midst of suffering. In the midst of suffering, he's glorifying God. In the midst of suffering, he's caring about others, even as he's actually losing his life in the middle of this. Now, I don't actually think this is an isolated event. We don't have another, we don't have all the records, but Paul was actually doing a lot of persecuting. And I don't think Stephen was probably the only one that ever had this kind of response. I think there have been many Christians if, who, had, who had suffered and suffered well, and Paul had seen that. But this, this event was enough to make an impact on him so that in Acts 26, when Paul is recalling to to his salvation, that the Lord saved him on the Damascus road. In Acts twenty six fourteen, when Paul's recalling what God said to him, here's what Paul says. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads, the cattle prods. Meaning that, that from the time of Stephen and then all the other Christian martyrs and how they suffered well and how they glorified God and, and how their glorifying God actually, actually showed others, it was producing this kind of conviction to Saul. It was, it was doing something, and, and all he tried to do was fight against it in that moment. Which, by the way, just a side note, how does a person know that they're really tracking with God is that when suffering, when, is that, is that when, when someone is suffering and suffering well, if it hardens you to them, this shows you that, that there's some rebellion against God. And, that, and by the way, this is even like when, when you're trying to if you've confess, when you confess your sin to others and, and, and they, don't, they don't forgive you or if you've confessed your sin to others and you haven't received the forgiveness, I've, I've seen that through the years. I've seen that even in my own ministry. I want you to understand that, that if that person even, even becomes more callous and hard to you and even cuts off your friendship with them, I want you to know that, that sometimes that shows that God is bringing some kind of conviction into their life. We see it even in Saul. He tried to fight against it. But God is the hound of heaven, as Spurgeon says. And so he comes after Saul, and he comes after that person. And eventually Saul breaks. God saves him. I want you to notice that the purpose of suffering is not only to glorify God, but to glorify God to others. And we see this in the life of Stephen leading right to the salvation of Paul. The blood of the martyrs all over the church is what has what drove Christianity to the top. In fact, historians say that one of the reasons Christianity spread so um, so dynamic and so exponentially is that they were the ones that actually knew how to suffer and suffer well. The secular cultures of, of ancient time didn't know how to categorize suffering. 
But for some reason, these Christians who knew that life wasn't just about the here and now, that knew that there was a future resurrection, and knew that no matter how their bodies decayed now, that, that, or what disease they got now, that someday in, in heaven everything was going to be okay, and they would, they would experience a resurrection. This is what even led Christianity. Like when there were plagues in the city, it was Christians who interceded. Uh, our, our secular culture doesn't quite get this. In, in Tim Keller's book, he, he, makes, he talks about a story that I think is, is really, really emphasizes this. Uh, in 2006, um, there was a, a school shooting. There have been many school shootings, and this particular one was in an Amish community in 2006. And in this Amish community in Pennsylvania, there was a uh, 10 kids were shot uh, in a schoolhouse. And out of those 10 kids, five died, and the shooter killed himself at the very end. Now, what was interesting, this was an Amish community, and, and, and you know, typically your Amish person is a worshiper of God. And in the midst of this, here's what happened. The Amish community went and went to the shooter's parents and offered sympathy and forgiveness. In fact, at the funeral for their son that shot that shot these these ten kids and five of these kids lost their life. That the, the the Amish actually made up half of the funeral service for the shooter. I mean, how amazing was that for the shooter's family to see that? Now it's interesting. Our culture doesn't get this or understand this because they they had one of those made-for-TV movies uh, for it. And in the made-for-TV movie, the the Hollywood producers couldn't understand how there could be such magnanimous forgiveness. How how. How all this suffering could result in them getting, in all these Amish getting better, not bitter, that they had to add something to the story plot. They actually added a fictional character named Ida into that made for TV movie. And in that, in that story, this lady named Ida struggled with her faith and struggled to forgive these shooters' parents. And there's all sorts of struggle. But the truth is this there was never actually an Ida in that Amish community that ever struggled. In fact, when the sociologists came in and looked at the Amish community and, and looked at those affected by this, what they found is that there was no loss of faith. There was only a glorifying of God. And the sociologists actually were astounded at this. And here's one thing that the sociologists noticed as they studied this test case. The Amish had forgiveness. That's what made the difference. The Amish had forgiveness. The Amish gave up their rights to pay back the hurt and instead reached out to help. See, the Amish saw their suffering in light of the glory of God and the light of his eternal purposes. The Amish saw that, the, that glorifying God means that he'll they'll glorify God to others. And what better way to glorify God to others than to offer forgiveness? And more than just a forgiveness of, of I release the debt, but also that of let me help you. What a great way to even see if I am suffering and suffering well for the glory of God, this will result in me glorifying God to others, which is even this. When we suffer as a result of what others have done to us, it's not only a forgiving from the heart towards them, but it's also like a, a reaching out and reconciliation and help to them. This is what we saw in the Amish community. The interesting thing is the secular world couldn't even understand that. They, they had no category. In fact, they had to make up a fictional character in their made-for-TV movie to even make sense of the whole entire plot line. In a, a secular culture, the idea that people could be that generous and forgiving and magnanimous made absolutely no sense. But for us in Christ, it does make sense. The purpose of suffering is not only to glorify God, but it's to glorify God to others. 
And and this glory that others get to see, it is it is what is what moves. I still I still keep going back to Stephen. When Paul was holding the coats of the very ones who were stoning Stephen and he was glorifying God in the midst of that, Paul saw that. And that had a perspective. Now, it may have ratcheted up his persecution of Christians for a season. But at some point, the Lord's voice broke through into his soul. So we see that. Number th- the next point is this. So suffering results in glorifying God. He is what's weighty and what matters most and was what's most beautiful. And then next, it's that we can glorify God to others and then third, and this is actually something I think we forget about because, I mean, we, we only trust what we can see and measure, really. I mean, that's kind of our society. But glorifying God to the spiritual world, glorifying God to the spiritual world. See, there's all sorts of suffering that goes around us. And, do you know, there's a spiritual world that is watching our suffering. So let me put my cards on the table. I, I, I don't believe that our loved ones who died before us and are in glory, that they have an exact way to look down on us. I know some people would take Hebrews chapter 12 and say that the cloud of witnesses are the loved ones that have died before, but I don't see that in the context of Hebrews chapter 12. There's chapter 11 that that, that cloud of witnesses, I think, is really referring to the hall of faith in, in Hebrews chapter 11. But what I can say this is that your loved ones are with the God of glory. And if there's something that can bring joy and glory in heaven I'm, I'm very confident that the Lord of glory can communicate to them. I'm, I'm also very confident because Luke chapter eleven ten says there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Well, who is before the angels of God? It's God himself. So in some way, heaven can look at the reaction of God and, and understand some kind of repentance on earth that even the angels can rejoice. And we know that we're there with the angels rejoicing. So I, I, I want to... I want to put on the, the table that I don't know if your loved one's looking down on this, but I know that your, your loved one may have some kind of idea of what's going on as they examine the face of the Savior. But what I want to get across to you is this. The suffering that happens, the purpose of it, is to, is to show a message to the spiritual world. We actually can't deny that when we look through Scripture. Angels and demons are watching us. How many? I have no idea. But it's a lot. We see all through Scripture that there's a cosmic spiritual battle going on all around us. I think sometimes we ignore that, but it's true. If you were to look at Job chapter 1 and verse 6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. What do we see even in Job? We see that Satan was roaming about, watching what was going on in the world. And even, remember, God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Meaning, like, have you, have you ever examined him? So what we understand is this. There's, that there's, there's angels and demons. There's spiritual realities that are watching and observing what we're doing. First Peter 5.8, he says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. It's spiritual, spiritual things, spiritual entities are or the spiritual world is watching what we're doing. Ephesians 3.10, it says, Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. 
Ephesians 6, 12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the powers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. 1 Peter 1, 12 says that the angels of God desire to look into our salvation. They're fascinated with the repentance that God has given us as his creations. So just... This may not make a big impact, but we've got to understand this. That when we suffer, and maybe others don't see our suffering. Maybe it's not put in such a huge limelight like the Amish community from 2006. But there is always someone watching. And our suffering glorifies God when we handle it rightly. It glorifies God to others. And it glorifies God to an unseen spiritual world. And in the midst of that, what it tells is that unseen spiritual world is it once again reminds that unseen spiritual world is that the Lord's glory matters most. And to the demons, it says your time is almost up, but someone's always watching. How many? I have no idea. But we find this. The purpose of suffering is to glorify God. The purpose of suffering is so that others could see God's glory. The purpose of suffering is so that the spiritual world can see the glory of God. And then here's a last thing that we'll talk about this morning. Suffering helps us to glorify God to ourselves. To glorify God to ourselves. Now this, I've already talked about glorifying God, but glorifying God to ourselves that that. The purpose of suffering is that that God actually molds our character, does something to us internally as we are glorifying him. I'll give you a couple things. Here's a quote from Tim Keller that I I think is really strong. It says, if God is treated as God during suffering, then suffering can reveal and present him in all his greatness. Can I read that for you again? If God is treated as God during suffering, then suffering can reveal and present him. In all his greatness. To see him in the midst of our suffering is a way that God is, is so is most glorified in us. A lot of times we see our suffering as here's a big circle and we're in the middle of suffering and God is outside that circle. But God is glorified in our in our lives when when we see that he is in that circle with us, the suffering savior that understands exactly what we're going through. His greatness and suffering can be seen in how it prepares us for glory. I mean, God's glorified, God glorifying God to ourselves. His greatness and suffering is seen in how he prepares us for glory. Romans 8, 18, I got a couple scriptures to read for you. He, he says, the scriptures say, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. 2 Corinthians four seventeen. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We can't get away from this. Suffering prepares us for glory. Suffering prepares us for glory. And so what we find is that that suffering helps us to glorify God to ourselves in such a way that it grows us into his image. And, and all the suffering that we go through, even the suffering that some of us will directly go through as a result of the coronavirus, will in the end 
prepare us for glory. It'll get us ready to be with Jesus. And listen, as I told you earlier, if we live long enough, we are going to suffer. The question is not are we going to suffer, but the question more is how are we going to suffer? Are we going to suffer well? And suffering is never wasted. It is always meant to prepare us for glory. I mean, so like some people say, is there ever any silver lining? I cannot promise you that that there's always a silver lining on earth to every bit of suffering that you're ever going to see. I mean, like, I can promise you this, that any bit of suffering that we do is going to show God's glory to others. And where it doesn't show God's glory to others, it's going to show them to the spiritual and visible world to us. But in the end, it will always, there is an ultimate silver lining in that it will prepare us for glory. Our capacity for joy and glory will be greater the greater our suffering. And we have a Savior that is acquainted with that and knows that. It's not like our Savior doesn't know that. And it's not like just even our Savior, even when you look at God through the Old Testament, He's not a distant God all through the Old Testament. He puts Himself among His people. He puts Himself in the tabernacle in the middle of His children Israel. He is acquainted. He is grieved with their disobedience. He is pleasured by their obedience. We see a God who suffers with us. And... That suffering causes us to prepare ourselves for glory. Take a moment and take a deep breath. And ask yourself this. Do we see our current suffering as something that prepares us to enjoy glory? And friend, let me just tell you. The suffering that you're going through right now. Whatever that suffering is. If you suffer well. It will increase your joy for glory. And that suffering cannot compare with the glory that will someday come. That's the ultimate silver lining. Number three, his greatness is seen in suffering. This is glorifying God to ourselves. We see his greatness even more in suffering because we see that it disciplines our life. It brings discipline to our life. Hebrews twelve eleven, it says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruits of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. So actually when you read Hebrews 12 and see the discipline, it's actually more of a preemptive discipline. We always see discipline as you did something right. But sometimes God's discipline on our life is something he does ahead of time to move us and maneuver us in positions of humility. Because when we are in positions of humility, that's when God can be most exalted and we can most glorify and enjoy him. Now it's interesting. When you look in Hebrews 12, 11, It says, but he says, for all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruits of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. That word trained is a Greek word, gymnazo. It's where the word we get gym. Now, it's interesting when you start looking up that definition in multiple different Greek dictionaries, you find that sometimes the dictionaries define that word as being trained naked. As in exercising naked. Now that makes you makes one think, well, that's kind of weird that people are training naked. Why would it have that? Well, it's because in that day it wasn't uncommon that when you were training, and part of training was that you trained with little clothes on. And the reason was because when you have a lot of clothes on, you can cover up the weaknesses. But when you don't have the clothes on, the 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 coach the coach can can look at where the weak muscles are and can work stronger on those. And so what we learn from that is, is that when we are going through suffering, it disciplines our lives. And we're going through suffering, it exposes the weak muscles. It's training. It's exposing what's weak in us. 
I love what Keller says about this idea. He says this, when life is going along just fine, this is a great quote. When life is going along just fine, the flaws in our character can be masked and hidden from others and from ourselves. But when troubles and difficulties hit, we are suddenly in God's gymnasium and we are exposed. The purpose of suffering is that we could glorify God to ourselves. And, and part of that is that the discipline of God, that suffering that comes in our life, it's meant to train us. It's meant to expose. If you've ever been through any kind of suffering and you've suffered well, you've only suffered well is if all your soul was focused on his glory. If all the weight and importance and matter was on him and not ourselves. And, and, and this is what happens when, when life and suffering happens in our world. It's, it's meant to expose in the gym the weaknesses. I don't take this as a reason that like, hey, this is where... I wear really, this is why I can wear really tight shirts to the gym. I'm just trying to, like, did you listen to Nick's message? I'm just trying to expose my muscles and see where I need, I have some weaknesses. I'm just saying God's, God's, God's avenue of helping us is actually through suffering many times. His greatness in suffering can be seen also in how it causes us to fight sin. Hebrews 12.10 says, He disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. How, what is one of the ways that we grow in holiness with God? It's through suffering. 1 Peter 4, 1 says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same kind of thinking. And get this, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So the purpose of suffering is to glorify God to ourselves. And, and, and glorifying God to ourselves is this idea of, of that in our suffering it causes us to fight against sin. Friend, I will tell you this. When, when we suffer and we are suffering well, we fight sin the best. We do. I mean, you can, you can see that all over because when we're suffering, we are sometimes exposed to the weaknesses like we talked about a while ago. And as we start to get exposed to the weaknesses and wake up to the glory of God, and when we suffer well, we fight sin even better. We live in His holiness. I mean, you can see the example if you were to go over to 2 Corinthians in chapter 12 where it talks about Paul's thorn in the flesh. We've talked about it so many times, his thorn in the flesh. That one of the reasons for, for him having that thorn in the flesh, it was actually something preemptive to actually keep him from being conceited, to keep him from having too much pride. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, so to keep me from becoming conceited, then he talks about the thorn in the flesh that he has. What do we discover from that? that? That actually the suffering in Paul's life actually helped him go away from sin. So like if you're suffering right now and you wonder like, God, what's your purpose in this? If you're suffering well, you will find yourself struggling with the, the old man indwelling sin flesh less than you did before. In fact, that's part of the refinement process that God does in the midst of it. When, when the same sun that hardens the, that hardens the clay but melts the wax, when the wax of your life is being melted underneath the suffering of God, it will result in you running further and further from sin. We see also in suffering... It glorifies God to ourselves and that his greatness in suffering can be seen and how his strength is found in weakness. Remember, once again, Paul's thorn in the flesh. Paul says this. 
He says, there was a thorn in the flesh that was given me, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Preemptive. God was doing this preemptively to keep him from sin. Paul says, I pleaded with God three times for God to take it away. God said to me, no, my grace is sufficient for you in verse 9. God says to Paul, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will, Paul says, I will boast more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Then Paul says this in verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 12. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. And then Paul says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul is glorifying God to himself. He, he basically realizes that in this weakness that I'm experiencing because of the storm in the flesh, I am finding his strength. Where my, where my strength ends, his strength picks, picks up. I am weak as a result of this. Now what's interesting is suffering does this. Suffering brings us to an end of ourselves where when our strength is failing, it's his strength that gets us through. And there is nothing like relying on God's strength. This is what glorifying God to ourselves looks like. It does a change in us. Also, his greatness in suffering can be seen in how we share in his suffering. 2 Corinthians 1.5. In some mysterious way, it says this. It says, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly. And comfort too. In some way, when we suffer, we are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Now, I, I don't. We can't share in the suffering of Christ in the way of that that we are absorbing the wrath of God. Jesus did that sufficiently by Himself. There's nothing we can add to His work of redemption. We can't. We can't add to the cross. The cross. He, Jesus' life was sufficient to be innocent. And godly and holy to offer up in our place of our unholy life. But in some mysterious way, our suffering is identifying with the suffering life of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, 10 through 11. Paul says to the Corinthians church, Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So glorifying God to ourselves is realizing that in some way when we are suffering and we're suffering well and we're suffering to the glory of God, that Jesus' name is made much of. And last is his greatness in suffering. Like glorifying God to ourselves is his greatness in suffering can be seen in how we share each other's sufferings. Share each other's sufferings. Second Corinthians 1 Paul says to this church again, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort. Now notice what he says to this church. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So Paul says the the suffering we go through is so in the end we can offer comfort to you. For we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. So he says that that we suffer. We share in his suffering. And as we share in his suffering, we're also sharing in your suffering so that we can offer comfort. So through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, he says in verse 6, it is for your comfort in salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. I just... It's so hard to understand, but, but get this. 
glorifying God to ourselves is this is in the midst of of this. We see His greatness, and we in suffering we see His greatness in how our suffering helps strengthen others in their suffering. And we don't suffer in silence and alone, but we suffer together. And somehow, I mean, Paul is saying to this Corinthian church, my suffer, I suffer with Christ and my suffering helps to comfort you and your suffering helps to comfort me. And we're working together in this in a community. So the purpose of suffering is to glorify God. The purpose of suffering is to glorify God to others. The purpose of suffering is to glorify God to the unseen spiritual world. And the purpose of suffering is that we would glorify God to ourselves, that we would see his greatness even more. We would see how he transforms us in the midst of all this. Now, here's, as we wrap up here, the thought sometimes is, man, this is so hard. This suffering that we're talking about, man, it feels like it will break us. I love this quote from Tim Keller. Suffering ultimately won't break us. Why? Because Jesus took away the only kind of suffering that can really destroy you. And that is being cast away from God, his presence to bless. He took, he took that so that now all suffering that comes into your life will only make you great and humble. A lump of coal under pressure becomes a diamond. And the suffering of a person in Christ only turns you into something gorgeous. Jesus Christ suffered, not so that we would never suffer, but so that when we suffer, we would be like him. Let me tell a story that ends this. In, um, in one of the earlier chapters of his book, um, I think I, I, you know, there's so many stories that it's hard to identify with, but this one was a true pain if you've got children. He told a story of a lady who had three kids and and. Her one-year-old had fell out of out of their out of the chair, and this lady's one-year-old, when that that baby fell out of the chair, um, had had a, a skull fracture. Well, they took that baby to the hospital and had the baby examined just to make sure and be precautious. And yeah, there was a fracture, but the baby was okay. But the technician who did the X-ray of that child ended up suspecting these parents of child abuse. And so that technician at the hospital who took the x-ray called CPS, and then CPS shows up at this lady's house who has three children and this one-year-old that accidentally fell out of the chair, and there was, it, she, was, she, was never guilt, she was never found guilty, never did any kind of child abuse. But in this moment, CPS comes and takes her three kids away from her and takes them for almost a year away from her. She's powerless. She could do nothing during that time. And that whole entire time, that lady had to wrestle with the thoughts and feelings of, there's this, there's this rookie exam technician who sees, the, who sees something and makes, a, and makes a bad judgment call. And because of that bad judgment call, that injustice... CPS is called in. Her kids are taken away from her, and there is nothing she can do about that. Their bills pile up with lawyer fees. They don't get to see their kids. Their kids are traumatized. The parents are traumatized. Everybody is suffering. Everybody is suffering. I remember reading that story and just thinking to myself, this, it just made me mad. I mean, like, for some reason, it's like I can accept, even me personally, I can accept at times... It seems like we can. We can accept like death and a bad health diagnosis because we've heard it so much. We've seen it so much. 
I mean, for those of us in Christ, we've, we've prepared that. I mean, if you're going to be honest with the book and just honest with life, we're all going to die someday. But there's something hard about injustices, especially an injustice that seems senseless, that never had to happen. So I'm reading this story, and this lady, in the midst of her suffering, has to do what we're talking about here. She has to glorify God. She has to see that God's glory will be made manifest to others. She has to see that God's glory will be made will made shown to a, uh, the spiritual world that God's glory will be will be even God's glory will be made more manifest in her own life to herself. And here's what I love. After a year, eventually, um, she was found innocent. The judge dismisses the case, but there was a lot of trauma that went on with that. What was important to this lady was to have an opportunity to sit down with that hospital and those doctors and that x-ray technician. And, and the lady said in her story that the reason she wanted to do that wasn't so much to get back, wasn't to get back. What she wanted to do is to let that hospital and that technician know, hey, these are the repercussions when you call CPS without enough information and data. This is the injustices that can happen. Now, let me read for you what happens at that moment. Right from the book, she says this. This is right after the judge had thrown out their case. When the judge discovers that there's been no abuse here and there's no need for CPS to continue to hold these kids. She says this. When the battle was over, there were battle wounds that needed tending. Initially, we were so relieved and overjoyed by freedom that we did not anticipate the emotional task ahead. And freedom means she was declared innocent and got her kids back. Despite the reunification of our family, she says, our daughters continued to suffer the effects of this crisis. Ted, who is her husband, and I, she says, also faced some symptoms of post-traumatic stress. But even so, the predominant mood in our home was relief. We felt peace and joy with fresh intensity. I felt a renewed sense of awe and gratitude for the gift of my children. You see how, like, like what the suffering had done to her? It was amazing how the lingering hurt coexisted with delight. How our grieving was simultaneously with our healing. February the 20, 2013 marked only the one-year anniversary of our trial, the most powerful facilitation to our recovery in this whole thing, she said, has been forgiveness. She said, I think injustice is very difficult to forgive. Personally, it would have been impossible to forgive without God's intervention. After our exoneration, my family attempted repeatedly to contact the children's hospital that ignited the whole ordeal. The chief of staff finally agreed to a meeting with the physician who who reported to us. Our intention was to have a collegial discussion about the events in an effort to prevent similar harm to other families. Here now, here's what she said. I recounted every appalling detail of our family's experience to the chief of staff and the head of the child abuse pediatrics, the one who actually reported us. As I spoke, I felt confident and calm, never angry or bitter. When I finished, the chief of staff apologized, saying, mistakes were made, and I'm very sorry or your family had to go through. When the physician who made the misdiagnosis of child abuse echoed the same apology, when we were leaving the office, listen to this, she said, I hugged the doctor who had reported us. Trust me, she says, I did not feel like showing love to that person, but God did. That was the most powerful healing and reconciliation 
I have ever experienced, she said. God changed me in that moment. More than he had changed me through the entire tribulation, he miraculously changed my perspective. I suddenly saw myself in this flawed woman facing me who reported this falsely. How many mistakes have I made in my life? How many people have I hurt intentionally or unintentionally? How many times have I allowed the pride to prevent me from doing what's right? How, after all, was I different from my accuser? I read that story and thought, boy, she got it. Glorifying God, glorifying God to others, glorifying God to the spiritual world, and even glorifying God to herself, that this suffering made her see her own sinfulness and her own wickedness and the beauty and grace of the glory of the cross and the same glory and grace and the same forgiveness that was offered to her through the work of the cross, she could offer as well. And that in itself was the healing remedy that she could, that she could suffer and suffer well to the glory of God. Suffering will happen for all of us as we prepare ourselves, know this. There is no bit of suffering that is wasted. And every bit of suffering is meant to drive us back to the gospel. Will you pray with me? Thank you. That we can love you because you first loved us. And the suffering that, that comes, no matter what it may be, the suffering that some are already experiencing, financial sufferings in our body, and some are are looking at that's coming and some are unsure and there's news cycles and a lot of uncertainty. Well, let us prepare well. Let us be refined. Let us turn into the diamond. Let us see the diamond that you're producing through this. Let your glory be what's important and weighty and beautiful. And when we can't trace your hand, let us trust your heart to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.